This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. Welcome to the show. This is American Real TV. There's so much to talk to you about. Where everyone. You are a true inspiration. Has. We're all trying to do our part to change the world. A story. What's your mission? What do you want your legacy to be? You have such a great story. I cannot wait to share it. Welcome to the American Real family. I cannot wait to air this episode. And now, here's your host, Roger Brooks. A select number of people have been called into spiritual leadership after having some type of mystical experience, or as they say, an awakening. This higher calling happens to people in all walks of life. There is no right or wrong in how people choose to live this out. It is a very personal decision. But this type of collective consciousness seems to be on the rise, especially in our current political and social environments. Mm. Many people are interested in learning more about this topic, and one voice leading the discussion is best-selling author Dennis Beausejour, who wrote the book, The Biggest Idea Ever, Trade Anxiety, Fear, and Burnout for Peace, Purpose, and Significance. Dennis worked at Procter & Gamble for 22 years with his last assignment as VP of Advertising before following his call into spiritual leadership. He completed seminary at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago, then led Answers for Life, the ministry of Dr. Henry Cloud, with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called CRU, C-R-U. Following that, Dennis and his wife, Marianne, were called to lead and serve Marymount Church. Now in retirement, Dennis and Marianne continue as spiritual mentors. His memoir tells his adventurous odyssey that follows him through a near-death experience in Japan and into a series of awakenings that made him sought after as a spiritual mentor. The book embodies four decades of accumulated wisdom that will help you look at every aspect of your life and chart a fresh journey filled with peace, purpose, and significance. If you are experiencing anxiety, fear, or burnout, or you just want more from life, I can't stress enough that this book is for you. And with that, here's the author, executive, spiritual mentor, and grandfather, Dennis Beausejour. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Hey, Roger. It's great to be with you and your listeners today. Thank you so much. And I, I just have to start out by asking, where did the idea come for the title of your book, The Biggest Idea Ever? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, as a as a vice president of marketing for Procter and Gamble, and you know, a, an entire career building brands, the uh, the search for the big idea, uh, the communication of a big idea in advertising, and something that will change a category or change a brand's trajectory, uh, this was kind of the stock and trade of my uh, time at Procter and Gamble, and. Uh, so uh, when I heard about uh, this uh, spiritual, when I had this spiritual awakening, and when I heard about uh, the the kingdom, the kingdom of God, uh, it landed on me like the biggest idea I had ever heard. And uh, so uh, I was walking the Camino de Santiago with my wife, and um, we were having these incredible conversations with you know, there's like a quarter of a million pilgrims walk this route through northern Spain every year, and people are heading into churches and stopping at crosses and praying all over the place. And you could see this hunger for 
for people to to know uh, to know God and to know a spiritual life. And so it was in that kind of conversation, that flow, that uh, I, I just felt I was supposed to write this book. And uh, the title came almost immediately. It was like, of course, the biggest idea ever. <laughs> no, right. And, and I think it's so related to the biggest story ever, which is the, the story of Jesus. And um, I don't know if you've been um, watching this series, The Chosen. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. that uh, to me it's just one of the best ever to be able to capture what happened back in those days and and just brings it more to reality of of okay this is maybe uh pretty close to how how it may have happened yeah yeah i i agree i think the chosen has brought jesus into um just a level of uh uh you know while being faithful to the biblical account it is uh, it is delving into the likely, you know, character traits of some of these people, and uh, it portrays uh, Jesus in just like a an approachable, realistic, uh, warm, vulnerable, but also authoritative dude. Like he, he's he's that. It's really well done. Really yeah, no, well done. I agree. I agree. It's it's actually inspired me personally to you know, become closer to my own, you know, spiritual side, um, having watched this and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. really looking forward to this new season that, that just came out. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they've been very innovative. Uh, even my wife and I went to, to the, uh, to the theater to watch some episodes this time, instead of watching at home on the app, which was in and of itself, incredibly innovative, and uh, bypassed the whole you know, the whole normal way of doing things, which I love. I just love. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, totally, it's totally refreshing. And, uh, and, and it's a great encounter uh, yeah. with what, you know, with what he could have been like. So right no, And I encourage our, our, our listeners, our viewers to, if they haven't watched it, uh, mm -hmm. to watch it because it, it really does. Uh, it brings yeah. a whole new element of humanity to, to him mm -hmm. and to, uh, his apostles and how that all may have come together. I think they did that very well. And then there's certainly specific characters like Matthew and, um, you know, who right. could imagine, you know, how this all came to be back then and, and how they lived. And, you know, he was a tax collector and then turned apostle. So uh, just really, yep. really well done. Yeah, no, excellent. And, you know, it's what, what they do is they, they completely eliminate religiosity, uh, and it's it's uh, it's authentic and it's uh, real and approachable, and and that's actually very much what I tried to do in the book, uh, is to make it very approachable and relatable and vulnerable and authentic. Yeah. Yeah. No. And if you if we could transition into that, uh, would love to learn more about how you built the framework for this book. As you know, I like to interview a lot of authors mm. and everyone has their own way of doing things but you had this you know you had this experience on on the walk and you decided to write this book you, you know using your marketing background came up with the the wonderful title but can you help help us understand mm. how did the framework come to be and what did you pull from your background to make it all come together and maybe how long it took you to actually do yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, 
So I, I gave it, uh, the, the way I came to it was with a mind map. So I had a, basically a picture uh, and I had arcs and I'm trying to look at the arc of my life, which I journal. And so I was able to refer back to some different things, but primarily it was remembering, you know, my, my own story. So the arc of my story, then uh, the arc of the biblical story to try to uh, frame that up. And then the arc of the people that I've been privileged to be a spiritual mentor to and some of their stories. And so it became sort of uh, uh, mapping out, you know, how God moved in my two decades at PNG, how he moved as my two decade in my two decades as a spiritual mentor and, and a pastor. And then uh, how the, the biblical story wove itself through that. And um, so it took, I would say it took about a week of uh, laying out the, what I call the mind map and uh, laying out the, the chapter, the chapter flow and the idea flow and the stories that I would include, you know, in each, in each section. And then um, I began writing and I only had one really good advice about writing, which was to write, you know, and uh, so I, I uh, set aside, I, I visited my sister. She has a wonderful uh, basement that's uh, very quiet. And I, uh, I went down there. My wife is very good friends with my sister. And uh, so between eight o'clock and lunch, between one o'clock and uh, five o'clock, uh, then we took a one hour walk, my wife and I, and then we had dinner with my sister and her husband. And I uh, the book poured out of me in 26 days of that. So literally, I, were, I, I wrote six, seven hours a day for 26 days. And uh, it came out at about 85,000 words. And um, uh, of course, it's, it's gone through a, a lot of morphing since then. But that was, the, that was how the first, the first bit of it came out. Yeah. Oh. No, thank you for sharing that with us because everyone, as I mentioned, I talk to has their own method. Haven't heard one quite like yours, so that's really interesting. Uh, it sounds sounds like almost a, a, a full month of yeah. doing this consistently every day uh, got yeah. you that first draft that you needed to to really build off of. So yeah, uh, just yeah. wonderful to hear. So did did do they live? Uh, do they live far away from you? Did you did you make this a month long trip? Yeah, so I was actually uh, on a sabbatical from. I retired from church work. We went to Europe. We walked the Camino. We stayed three months in Europe. I visited. Uh, I followed the footsteps uh, of the Apostle Paul through Turkey and Greece. I followed the um, the uh, life of John through the ch the seven churches of Revelation. We visited, and then uh, I visited Israel for uh, uh, about two weeks. I've already spent probably an entire year in Israel, if I add up all the time, uh, looking at archaeology and all that. And um, uh, then uh, when we came back, we were supposed to be in a friend's, uh, in a friend's uh, beach house in Naples, and uh, Hurricane Ian uh, put some serious damage on their house. So I ended up at my sister's, which is in Toronto. So November and December of 2022, in Toronto compared to uh, <laughs> it compared to uh, a beach in Naples. But I, I wonder if I would have had the discipline to write the book 
in Naples with the sun shining and the beach sure. beckoning. <laughs> a lot more temptation down there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Dennis, uh, curious on um, something you call the good life. If you mm. could expand upon that and just help us understand from your perspective, mm -hmm. what what does that mean? What is it all about? Yeah, you know, it's it's such a, it's such a topic for uh, philosophers and sages throughout the ages. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, it's the question we all have to answer, isn't it? It's the, it's the question of what am I shooting for? What is the good life? You know, and um, I, I think there's a, there's an American dream narrative uh, of, you know, working hard, raising up a family, uh, having a, a owning your own home, uh, building up retirement and and having you know a a time of freedom uh, where you can do pretty well whatever you want and I that that comes out of obviously you know the declaration and the pursuit of life liberty and and happiness. Um, what is interesting about that word happiness is that uh, it, it's actually the, or came out of the Greek word eudaimonia, and this is a huge idea in ancient Greek philosophy, uh, where, you know, Aristotle and others pursued kind of like what this is. And obviously, the meaning of words changes over time. But, you know, for us, happiness is, uh, you know, the pizza makes me happy, or my birthday party makes me happy. But what I think the, the framers of our Constitution and the philosophers of old were focusing on is happiness as a condition of deep-seated joy, of deep-seated well-being, uh, of deep-seated satisfaction with what we have, the life that we have made for ourselves. And, you know, we all have one life. Uh, we all have 24 hours a day and maybe 70, 80, 90 years. So we, we, have, to, we have to think about, and I think most people at some point really think about, but, but as I scoped out the, the trajectory of this thinking of, of the good life, um, you know, I started with the Greeks and I talk a little bit about that in my book. And then I uh, continued on through uh, the, the sages, uh, the Jewish sages and uh, the, you know, the sages of uh, the church. But I kept coming back to Jesus and I kept seeing, wow. You know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he is basically lays out uh, what the good life is. And he is, you know, specific. But what's beautiful about it is he, he articulates it in a way that it is available to anyone of any intelligence, of any socioeconomic class, of any race, uh, of any gender. Uh, because it is founded in the principles, you know, which essentially revolve around uh, knowing God, loving your neighbor, treating others the way you want them to treat you, the golden rule. And this has, you know, been the central anchor of Western civilization for 2000 years, uh, very enduring. And then I, I looked at some modern philosophers, most late, most my favorite is Dallas Willard, who is the chair of the philosophy department at the University of Southern California. And he 
uh, you know, incredibly well read through all the Greek, all the all the Latin, all the early church, but uh, a student of Jesus and a student of philosophy. And he had the intellectual underpinning uh, in his books that uh, I've studied for years. And he he is the one that really helped me uh, open up, you know, to open up to what uh, what the the life of wisdom really is the the good life and and um so i would say give give him a lot of credit and and that's that's chapter two of my book so i've given you kind of almost a brief outline but it is that that deep long-lasting satisfaction that i've made good choices i've impacted the ones around me and i've impacted uh the ones next to me uh in a, in a good way over time and, uh, you know, as a spiritual mentor, um, how do you help people just see this, right? Because I think the average person, and I, you know, we all kind of look at our own experience and our own life and how we were raised and all that. But, you know, it seems if we're not pointed in a direction to even think about this, um, you know, the days become weeks, which become months, which become years. And time goes by, and this is not a focal point, mm -hmm. let alone an afterthought. Like it, it's, it's just, it's not central to someone's thinking. But as a spiritual mentor, how do you advise helping people to even start on this path? If yeah. it's been, if it, it's, if it's not been included at all, or you know, maybe uh, bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. It's really, it's really an art, of course, but I, I think um, I try to understand people's childhood uh, and how they came and, and, and really what their God story is. Because for some people, the God story is traumatic. It's like, you know, uh, brutal religiosity, getting stuff shoved down your throat. Uh, for others, um, life has, has brought uh, serious trauma, you know, where uh, if I look at, you know, what we see in, in, in the youth of today, several, uh, just a high percentage are dealing with, they're raised by one parent. Um, they're raised in a uh, lower income environment where it's uh, survival is, is just the basic drift from day to day. Um, so I, I really seek to understand, you know, what I would call the foundational assumptions that they have come to. Uh, in in uh, you know looking at the purpose of their life, and from there I try to uh, ask questions about uh, the the things they're pursuing right now. You know, if I'm talking to a 19 year old who's playing video games for 30 hours every week, um, I start to ask questions. You know, what 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 do you get out of that? What what are the highlights of that for you? And you know, oftentimes I find it is searching for community. In one case, a, a young man was doing that and um, his, his best friend was in Australia and he was playing this video game. And then uh, he gets a message from that friend's mother that he committed suicide. Uh, and you, you know, you, you try to, you try to say to that person, oh my gosh, that, that was that was so traumatic 
So I, I try to understand and then I try to come up, help them ask questions and help them discern what is the goal structure. And this young man's goal structure was to, uh, was to uh, have community uh, in through this game slash sport. And um, so then it was from there, the, the question of, okay, well, where else could you find this? And where else um, have you had glimpse of it in your life? And then you go through and you're really trying to help people awaken to uh, a goal that is uh, achievable, maybe a step forward, maybe uh, a risk or a challenge that could bring new levels of eudaimonia, new levels of, of happiness and, and joy. And um, then obviously uh, other assumptions about life and life after life and uh, just try to, you know, like my grade eight teacher brought us to the symphony and to the opera and to the the stage and, you know, opened our eyes to this whole world that was out there. So in a sense, I try to open eyes to the, the larger things of life that can really uh, alter a person's uh, experience and, uh, and, you know, bless them. And what about for those who are not spiritual leaders, right? Uh, average people that go about their days and run into situations where they might be helpful. Is it, do you feel it's our role um, to, to help guide others in, in certain ways? You know, maybe we're, we were put there at that moment for a specific reason, or do we, do we not so much interfere? What's, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say, you know, so look at love your neighbor. What does love your neighbor mean? And who is your neighbor? You know, uh, Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that our neighbor is the person whose path we cross at that particular moment in time. Um, so, uh, and, 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 you know, he stops, he takes care of the person, bandages the wound, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn. And then tells the innkeeper, hey, here's some money. And if you need more, I'll catch you on the way back. So this person is not getting over-involved, is not becoming codependent, but is giving help, meaningful help uh, along the way. And I think we all have that opportunity to be uh, a light for another person. It might be helping an elderly person across the street. It might be helping a harried mother get her groceries into the car so she can put the kids in their car seats. It, it can be all kinds of things. It could even be giving your seat up on an airplane. So, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a man and his girlfriend can sit together instead of being separated. But, um, and I think in, in the larger scheme, you know, we, we have become kind of an expert culture. And I think Jesus was saying, no, um, the ordinary person can uh, enjoy the kingdom. And so I think there's always a time for experts. You know, there's always a time for experts who can help you get your book published, experts who are pastors and seminary trained, 
there's experts who are psychologists and psychiatrists, and those those always play a role. But in the interim, uh, anyone we come across uh, can can be uh, can be someone that we have been destined to help. And it could be a five minute interaction, a thirty second interaction, or it could be a little bit longer. And you know, as I get older, um, and I you know I try to do as much reading and uh, as I can to to learn from philosophers um, of the past and, and current. But when it comes to wisdom specifically, how does that fit into your mission of what you're trying to do day to day? Is that something you you try to help? instill in people to, to look to that wisdom or, or, or is it your own wisdom that you're trying to pass down or, or, or both? Yeah, it's good. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, so according to the scriptures, there is a body of wisdom and you could extend to that morality and ethics that are found in, in the teachings of Jesus. And also, you know, in the Proverbs and other uh, Jewish uh, wisdom literature and wisdom literature from many cultures, you know, the African proverb, uh, you know, if if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others, you know, and so but what is wisdom? And, and my my working definition of wisdom is uh, not limited to knowledge. Yes, knowledge is a part of it, but wisdom is essentially uh, the ability to practice uh, a life well lived. Hmm. And so it is, you know, the, the, the proof of the pudding of wisdom uh, is a life well lived. And so, you know, many people write books and, uh, you know, they, they have not lived out they have got some kind of huge insight, but they haven't lived it out. Um, and I, I was never, I was never feeling like writing a book as I was trying to work out raising teenagers and turning boys in, into men and uh, living long enough to know that uh, my health, my financials, my relationships, you know, were in a healthy, you know, uh, a healthy pattern. So wisdom is, is a life well lived. And so I think it, it can be gained in reading, definitely, because knowledge is a key component of that. Uh, but it, can, it also has to be gained by application. And um, so, you know, when, when the, the Lord said to the Jews, hear, O Israel, uh, that word there is Shema, Shema Israel. And so the Jews will call that prayer, they say three times a day, the Shema. Well, that word means to hear, uh, it means to understand, and it also means to obey. So that, that's the difference between, you know, I read a book and yes, I know intellectually, but now I've put that book into practice. Uh, and I, I think this is one of the reasons that, uh, you know, Atomic Habits is doing so well, because he is focusing us on putting it into practice. And so people are actually experiencing 
you know, transformation and, and a life that is being lived in a better way. Dennis, how do you help people who fall off, right? We all fall off at some point. And, yeah. and sometimes it's hard to get back on um, the path, the, the right path. And mm -hmm. it's sometimes easier, whatever it may be, you know, just to continue on that other path that that's probably not the right one. Yeah. How, how do we help people, you know, get back on track? Yeah, boy, there's so much wisdom needed in that, isn't there? Um, but you know, there's a there's a scene um, in the uh, in in the in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is talking to the the, the boys, and uh, uh, he's, he's telling them, "Look, you got to forgive others who disappoint you and fall short." And Peter said, uh, "Oh yeah, Lord, are, are we going to forgive him like seven times?" And, you know, of course, the rabbis of the day were saying three. Uh, and Peter's being magnanimous. Oh, I'm going to forgive him seven times. And Jesus says, actually, you need to forgive him 70 times seven times. Indefinite. And, uh, you know, which is essentially an indefinite, you know, thing. He's actually the only other time in the Bible that number, that 77s is mentioned, uh, is... Uh, is 77 times is in Genesis chapter four, verse 24. And it's the nastiest dude in all of the, all of the Bible, uh, who's got multiple wives and he's just a miserable guy. And I think Jesus is alluding, like even forgive that guy. Uh, so, uh, you know, you have to uh, be careful and wise about it, but anybody who comes, uh, and is willing to repent and start over, who's looking for help, then uh, you, 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 need to, you need to at least hear them out. And uh, I mean, this is the beauty of AA, right? Because anybody can come to any AA meeting and can say, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I've fallen off the wagon. Uh, this is my first meeting in two years. And generally they will be heard, they will be encouraged, uh, and and they will find a sponsor, and they will be led, you know. And similarly, you would hope that in every church, if someone popped in who was uh, just in a very bad way, uh, but willing, you know, looking for grace, looking for a new start, would be, you know, given that opportunity. And of course, uh, the the worst thing is, of course, when the person you you know you know after several go rounds. Is, is not growing, is not changing, is not really intending to change. And then in that, in that case, uh, you, you know, you have to, you have to make some, uh, you have to make some decisions and apply some consequences, let them experience consequences before. And there, you know, my dad, my dad battled alcohol, uh, went into rehab four times, relapse after relapse after relapse, uh, lived in our home for a while and uh, would not obey our no smoking rule, nearly burned my house down and eventually burned all the bridges, all the friends. And uh, he was uh, living, you know, on a park bench. And uh, we, I was in Australia at the time, but my, my three sisters, uh, we did everything we could possibly do 
And there's just times when there's nothing you can do. And you have to know uh, that it's time um, to, to turn them over to the Lord, turn them over to God and pray that something happens. And, you know, my dad uh, eventually passed away of uh, cancer. Uh, and uh, I, I saw him a couple of weeks. He was in the hospital before he died. And we got sorted out. We're able to say, I love you. We're able to say, I forgive you. But, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't function. So it's hard. I, there's no easy answers. Right. And speaking of forgiveness, sometimes hard for people to apologize. Mm. Um, how do we, how do you help people through that as a mm. spiritual mentor? How do I, you know, of, uh, you know, an argument with the, the spouse or with a, a child or a friend or a coworker, but it, it's, it's difficult or challenging for the individual to voice it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, the, uh, one, one of the chapters of my book talks about the, the, the two gifts that, that God has given us to be able to live together in community uh, repentance and forgiveness. And uh, they're both extremely challenging. They both involve uh, getting off the throne and, uh, you know, releasing our pride and releasing uh, our, uh, the, the grace that, that we've, we have the power to, to give to others. But yeah, I mean, there are times where uh, you cannot get people to see how they are how they are harming others. You know, there's a, there's a narcissist uh, uh, personality disorder um, that is, uh, or a borderline personality disorder that is really, really difficult. And there are some times, um, but generally speaking, what I try to do is show that forgiveness is, is available to you from God, by grace, by faith, and forgiveness is extendable by you um, to others. And, you know, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive others, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who trespass against us. And a little bit later, he repeats that. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a reciprocity of that. But um, to ask for forgiveness is to admit that you're wrong. To ask for forgiveness is to see how you've hurt the other person. And to ask for forgiveness is to uh, literally throw yourself at their mercy. So that can be pretty difficult if you're a proud person. Uh, and then, you know, forgiveness is not, you know, uh, condoning what was done. Uh, forgiveness is simply transferring the debt, you know, from, from that what that person has done to you, transfer the debt to Jesus and let him, uh, you know, take care of it. And of course he will take care of it because whoever has hurt you, if, if they, if they seek Jesus for forgiveness, they'll be forgiven completely. Uh, and if they don't, then they will have to uh, deal with the consequences of being unforgiving and, and, and not having faith, not believing um, so it's, uh, it's, uh, tough and probably, you know, I, I think of my wife and I, you know, when I, 
when I, after the earthquake, uh, you know, and the near-death experience that I had in Kobe, Japan, I started realizing, wow, I'm, 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 I haven't even been asking any of these questions of life, you know? So it's, it's not just people with trauma and people who have been disadvantaged, but it's also people who are wealthy and busy. They're, they're so wealthy and so busy, they've never thought about the big picture meaning of life. And that was me. You know, and I was like skyrocketing. And after that, I started auditing my life and I started realizing, oh my gosh, I am an absentee father. I am a glutton. I am a drunk. I am an adulterer. I'm unfaithful to my wife. Uh, I've been successful, but like, if you look at the outside, it, it might look okay. But in the inside, I was highly, highly uh, dissatisfied, highly broken by my own self-centeredness and starting to ask some of those questions um, and eventually coming to the point of, uh, you know, uh, an encounter with Jesus and then unpacking that and coming into a conversation with my wife about everything I had done. And her response was just pure forgiveness. She just said, look, I know that I've been forgiven everything I've ever done. Uh, and I'm going to forgive you. And we are going to start over. And, you know, that, that to me was the, the picture. And I, I was repentant. I mean, I told her, here's how I've hurt you. Here's what I've done wrong. Uh, and and she forgave me. And there's there's something so freeing about that. Something that removes bitterness and removes fear and removes anxiety because you realize that there's a second chance hmm. and a third chance and a fourth chance. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. Powerful. Very powerful. Um, early on, you talked about the American dream. And, you know, how the framers may have thought about that. But when it comes to growth and growth of an individual, whether it's spiritual growth or, um, you know, business growth in, in the workplace, yeah, how does growth uh, play into what you do and how you define it in your world? Yeah. Growth is... Uh you know, the, the, the fundamental nature uh, of the creation and uh, of the kingdom. Um, so, you know, the, the, the world was created uh, to produce uh, increase, increase in population, increase in food production, increase in uh, quality of life, increase in knowledge, increase in understanding the the world's universities, the world's hospitals, the world's scientific endeavor, um, the world's, uh, you know, population. And, you know, God's been faithful. There's, there's actually plenty of food being produced on the world, which is kind of what he promised Noah uh, after the flood, that there's enough on the, to feed everyone. Now, of course, he's done his part, but we, we don't distribute it evenly or productively or wisely. Uh, so we still haven't mastered that yet. But 
there, there's some uh, indices that have been tracked in, uh, in terms of the affordability of food and the quality of food and so on. So uh, there's growth and we were told to multiply and to fill the earth and you know, whenever we don't do that, you know, the cultures like uh, Japan and China that are not having enough children uh, to keep going. Um, and, you know, actually in Western Europe and it would be our case too, if it wasn't for immigration. Um, but, you know, that that is the, the fundamental construction and, and the same goes in the world of investment, compound interest, uh, uh, innovation, uh, new companies being created. I just saw yesterday that NVIDIA has uh, packed on 200 and some odd billion dollars in market cap uh, in one day, uh, which is the value of the entire Coca-Cola company, and now is uh, worth more than uh, Alphabet. Uh, just amazing, you know? So invention, innovation, growth, those things are, are built into the nature, you know, of the periodic table, the nature of... Uh, uh, the the cosmos, the nature of physics, and uh, and the same goes with spiritual. You know that we are meant to to be able to understand and embrace and uh, grow uh, in in new ways. So uh, my pursuit of growth, you know, revolves around the stuff we've been talking about already, which is, you know, what is my what is my vision of the good life? What is my vision uh, for my family? What is the vision for my work? And how can I uh, reduce waste? How can I improve uh, my effectiveness? And so I think, um, you know, there's a never ending possibility of, of growth. And when I look at what the Bible says about eternity, you know, we are going to be, you know, in resurrection bodies, in a new cosmos, a new earth, that will be merged with the heaven and we will be living on a planet here and we will be learning, working, inventing, creating for all of eternity uh, because that was the way we were originally created to be. And uh, he's going to get his, he's, God's going to get his project done and he's going to get it done. And every, every day we'll learn something new about him and there'll be no end to that. So I, I see growth as uh, a basic human desire um, for all of us. So I try to tap into goals and dreams. You know, um, my, my wife and I uh, every week have a date night. And uh, uh, most of the time we will finish the evening by saying, what are you dreaming about right now? Mm. And we will be encouraging each other to think about, you know, what might be next. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, so we've talked about love thy neighbor and how important that is earlier on. Mm -hmm. And and I and what I want to get to is your your points about generosity and yeah. the importance of that generosity, what that means, and then kind of a two-part question how that generosity helps others, but then something that you talk about, which is family flourishing. If you could touch on those two topics, please. Yeah, that'd be, that's great. So <clears throat> because of the goodness of God and, and his 
is giving us the direction for the good life. Uh, and because of the growth of the, the fundamental growth of the kingdom, uh, the growth that's been baked into creation, then um, generosity is uh, a big natural outcome of that. You know, uh, for, for God so loved that he gave his only son for us, uh, you know, the generosity of God in, you know, look, he, he was perfectly happy, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for all eternity. They had perfect fellowship. They didn't need us. They didn't, they weren't lonely. Uh, you know, some, some people talk about God created because he was lonely. No, he wasn't. He had perfect fellowship. But he decided in his goodness to create and involve us in his project and to be able to enjoy his goodness, his generosity. And so throughout the Bible, you, you have this picture, and Jesus talked about it often, the Father's house. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, uh, and I'm making one for you. So the whole project is to open people's eyes to the generosity of the Father uh, through his Son, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through the nature of creation. And now we get to participate in that. Uh, and so generosity is uh, the, the, the basic calling that, that we have as we love one another, as we love our neighbors. So how do we, how do we practice that? And generosity is you, you know, just such a privilege. And it's, uh, it's seeing the, the um, abundance of the kingdom. And knowing that as we share, you know, God is willing to give us more and more and more. So for, for me, you know, raised in a very scarcity mentality home, uh, this was a challenge. I was like, what does this mean? And I, you know, was making tons of money, but I wasn't particularly generous. I gave to my college once in a while. If I had a family member or extended family member who needed money, I would, you know, give them a couple hundred bucks here and there, but nothing serious. And when I learned that the starting point for kingdom generosity is, is what the ancient Jews called the tithe or one-tenth, then, um, you know, making a seven-figure income, uh, I'm now writing a three-figure check, uh, sorry, a six-figure check. Uh right. And, you know, that first one I wrote was like, whew, man, I don't know about this. And uh, anyway, the moment I wrote it and I put it in the envelope and sent it in, I just, something broke inside of me. And I just felt this, this wave of uh, trust and excitement. And uh, when I learned that you know, everything that I'm doing by faith, you know, gets tacked on to my account. I have, we all have an account in heaven that gets tacked on. Uh, it, it broke something in me. And, uh, you know, we've, we've pretty much learned over time to uh, grow that 10% uh, to 20 and 25%. And the crazy thing is, is like, he he owns it all. He he owns a hundred percent, and we're we're just managers, you yeah. know. But learning to give and watching the impact 
you know, of giving. And, and like, for example, my, my wife and I, uh, we, we were, uh, we were made aware of a, a young family of missionary family that they, they were looking to, they had two kids, they were looking to buy a house and, you know, the Lord kind of, we just prayed and, uh, then, uh, we both wrote down, uh, a number and it was the same number. Uh, and we gave that number to this young couple and they were able to buy a house with, mm. with the down payment. And it was like, and now we've known that college students have been in that house every Monday and Wednesday night for 15 years. And many of them have come to know the freedom that Jesus offers and the peace that Jesus offers. So generosity, you know, begets generosity and, uh, then, uh, you know, to the family, if you look at Psalm 112, uh, it, it says, you know, blessed are the generous, their children will be mighty in the land, and they will never fear anything. Mm. And uh, these are huge promises uh, of living a generous life. And so uh, we just started, you know, learning that, teaching it to our kids, going on mission trips. Uh, we went on the mission trip uh, once to Philippines, to Cebu, and we were getting on the, in the minivan to go to the airport at the end, and my kids came out. They were hugging and kissing these orphan kids that we'd been with for a whole week, and they had no shoes on. They had given away their shoes, their, their baseball caps, their backpacks. They had given away everything, and they got on the bus with, you know, T-shirts and shorts, and they were waving and kissing, you know, and everything. And I, and I just realized like, wow, they are learning the joy of generosity and which is me, which is really learning how to be like Jesus. Yes. And so, uh, we've, we've tried to build that into our family and into our generations. And now we have, uh, 11, 10 grandchildren, number 11 on the way. And, uh, you know, we've continued, uh, with our giving to pour into their education because one of the Proverbs says, you know, the wise leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. Mm. And so we're, we're just trying to, we're just trying to do what it says, you know? And uh, in the moment, I can honestly say, like, we have not experienced fear or anxiety uh, about money uh, for the last 30 years. And yeah, our net worth has gone down uh, dramatically from what it was. But our kingdom worth, our kingdom account has grown and grown and grown, you know? So, uh, you know, we're, we're all going to die and nobody can take anything with them. And so we're sending it on ahead. Awesome. Dennis, how important, how important is the dignity of our work and what oh, we yeah. do? Mm, yeah, it's so good. The, the first two uh, chapters of the Bible uh, and the last two chapters of the Bible uh, are very clear that in the original created order and in eternity, we will be working. So work is uh, designed by God as a fundamental part of human existence. And we need to work. And we can see it when, when people are out of work they're, they're desperate. They're, they're missing a big part of their life and they know it. And so 
you know, to to uh, think about work as a paradigm of the opportunity to bless others, the opportunity to do what you do well, to bless other people. And I just think about, you know, uh, the 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 Yeti drink cooler that is well designed, um, the car that is well designed and and uh, requires very little maintenance, um, the accountant who does your taxes and does them honestly, uh, the banks who keep track through meticulous processes how much is actually in your account. Can you imagine going to the bank and, oh, sorry, we we've, we made a mistake in your account. And we have no idea how much money you have left. So I think quality work is like baked into uh, a fundamentally good life and existence. And so we all do something. And, uh, you know, my garbage man uh, who comes to my house every Tuesday morning, uh, he comes at different times. But I always try to go out and say thank you because you can you imagine how many how many people are saying thank you to their garbage man, and secondly, what would it be like if you, they didn't pick up the garbage? And we've seen garbage men garbage strikes. Right. Sure, it's a disaster. Yes. You know, we turn in we turn into a third world country in three weeks. Yes. So that's the that's the beauty of work. You know, is the the dignity, the quality, uh, the value. Uh, and so if we can bring that paradigm and, you know, the the Hebrew language has a word called avodah. And that word was uh, uh, mentioned uh, in in the context of the priests doing their work at the altar uh, in, in giving the sacrifices. And it means both work and worship. Mm-hmm. And so I, I uh, in the book, I just talk about there's some very easy thinking changes that you can make to turn your work into worship. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, who say, well, I wish I was a pastor. I wish I could be a missionary. You know, I had a doctor who was like that. And um, I said, dude, how many, how many patients do you see every week? And he goes, yeah, somewhere about 25 a day. So somewhere between hundred and 125 every day. And um, he's used is a, is dealing with life and death situations. I said, dude, you you are you have a you have a every every month you're seeing you're seeing five hundred people. That that's bigger than my church. Yeah, that's missionary work. Yeah, and so if, if if that's what God's called you to do, you know, fifty hours a week, then that's your that's your that's your worship. Yeah. And you know, I will say to anybody that anyone who does their work. Uh, for the benefit of others and the glory of God is way more holy and way more precious in God's sight than a pastor or priest who's just going through the motions. Dennis, this has been a wonderful conversation. I um, do have one last question and uh, before I let you go, and that is, how do we finish strong? Yeah. At the end of the day, how do we do that? Yeah, it, it is uh, really important. And we, we've talked about the good life and knowing yourself a little bit. You know, it's important to recognize that, you know, life is a marathon. And, um, you know, I've, uh, I've seen so many people, even in retirement, 
you know, fritter away their years and uh, get, you know, lost in, you know, social life, get lost in drinking or whatever it might be, and, um, you know, finish poorly. Um, and, you know, many characters in the Bible finish poorly uh, because they did not uh, get keep their their pride in check. Uh, they abused their power. Uh, they, um, you know, uh, had money and sex problems. And so uh, the, the, the recipe to finish strong is to, you know, stay connected uh, to God, to uh, lean into Jesus, to uh, follow him every day, hear from him every day, and uh, to recognize that, yeah, there will be suffering. You know, I'm going to have a knee replacement uh, next month. And, uh, you know, it's going to be brutal for a while. Um, and life isn't always easy. Um, but to stay, just to stay connected uh, to Jesus and uh, to be in community, to be, you know, a person who is open to hearing from other people, and to growing and keep growing and keep being generous and keep connected to Jesus. Wonderful. Dennis, if people want to reach out to you, want to connect to you, what's the best way for them to do that and also to get your book? Yeah. So if you go to dennisbosager.com, uh, you can, uh, there's a link there to buy the book. Uh, there's also free resources and there's an opportunity to ask a question or get connected. Uh, through that. Uh, and I'm happy to uh, I keep an eye on it daily. And I'm looking forward to connecting with anyone who wants to uh, live the biggest idea ever. <laughs> I love it. Dennis Bosejour, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real Family. And I cannot wait to air this episode. Yeah, well, thank you, Roger. You have been uh, a man of integrity and you have really helped me uh, in the process. So I'm very grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to American Real. For more stories like this one, be sure to stop by AmericanReal.tv. Follow us on all social media to stay up to date with everything American Real. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and contact one of our publishing experts if you're ready to publish your book and become a best-selling author.